came to Mary with this startling news that would have completely upended her like young teenage life. She's afraid, she's perplexed, she has questions, she has concerns, but she ultimately resolved, let it be to me according to your word. And it's this exemplary, like, I don't have all the answers, God, but I am wholly yours. You can have my life. You can literally have my womb. Move in and have first place and do what you will. So we talked about surrender. Now, Joseph, as, you, as we, we just read, also kind of exemplifies surrender. But we want to look at a different key word this morning. And that is the word integrity. And in fact, I think the theme of this text that we just read, this short text, is that faithful waiting means living a life of integrity. So by way of background, if you were to kind of take what you know from last week, and if you weren't here, again, I just kind of share with you, Virgin Mary betrothed to be officially married to Joseph. And during that betrothal period, she is found to be pregnant. So you put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. You are a small-town, blue-collar worker getting ready to marry your small-town girl. Your families have known each other for generations. I mean, this is, this is Nazareth. This is a handful of families. Everyone knows everyone. And within a year, because that's how long the betrothal period was, you will be married to Mary, and you will start your family together, a traditional Jewish Orthodox family with all the traditions and, frankly, all the simplicity of that Jewish life. But while you're literally off building a home for her, she gets pregnant, and you both know it's not your baby. So both of them, and this includes Joseph, are devastated, are humiliated, And she swears to you that she hasn't been unfaithful. She swears to you and tells this story of like this angel Gabriel came to me and he told me that I would be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So yeah, that's what happened. And you're like, yeah, because that's how these things go, right? So Joseph has reason not to believe her. And so you you think about Joseph's life, just, just living, again, an Orthodox Jewish life, waiting on the coming Messiah, trying to do the right thing, and life throws you this massive curveball. And everything that you think that your next 20, 30, 40 years of life is going to be about, is going to be centered around, like this simple family in Nazareth, is completely capsized. And you realize, like, life is not going to go the way I have ever imagined. And we're looking this morning of what can we learn from Joseph And from the way God interacts graciously with Joseph about waiting in faith. What can we learn about waiting not only in surrender, but waiting in integrity? So because I'm going to use this word a lot, what is integrity? I think this is interesting. It comes from a Latin word, integer, which simply means intact. So we often think of the the two ways we use integrity commonly in our culture. One is like this person has the character trait of integrity. And the other way we use it is like this, this building has structural integrity. And kind of the two things that we mean, and these aren't two totally different things, they're, they're kind of interwoven meanings. But when we're talking about character, we're usually talking about this is a person who has a commitment, like a steadfast commitment to certain beliefs, 
certain convictions, certain moral, ethical principles that regardless of circumstances, this person is convinced that this is the way to live their life. That's integrity. A second meaning is simply the quality of being whole, intact, or undivided. So like I mentioned construction, so this, you know, this building is held up by these one, two, three, four, five, six main steel beams, columns. You, you sit there and you never think about this, but the idea of structural integrity is that those beams are essentially the same all the way through. And now they actually have in construction where they can x-ray beams and they have different ways of looking at the internal like molecular atomic structure of beams to make sure is this the same thing all the way through and doesn't have a weak spot so that under load it deforms and the building collapses. So you can apply that to character of like under load. You think of like heavy, trying, difficult, painful circumstances. That's putting your life under load, but because there's no internal inconsistency or internal weakness that you've allowed to to just foster and develop and just hang out in your life, under load, your life does not deform and collapse. So as we look at a person of integrity, which Joseph was, I'll give you a couple things here. It means you're guided by the same moral principles at all times. It means you're the same person privately as you are publicly. There's not this two different people and like which which of you am I dealing with? Am I dealing with the public persona of you, the reputation of you, or am I, am I dealing with the character? A person of integrity, your reputation and your character are the same thing. Or it's like you do the right thing whether it's easy or not. That's a person of integrity. So a lot of times you're just going day to day and it's easy to do the right thing. Other times there's, there's eyes on you, there's pressure on you, there's a cultural conformity that's going on and it's hard to do the right thing. But this is the picture of a person with integrity. And again, we're looking at this idea that faithful waiting means living a life of integrity or an integrated life. We'll use that term today in therapy, in counseling. All right, back to Joseph. So, so Joseph, you, you got this background now. Joseph, small town, blue collar guy, he's carpenter, finds out his small town girl is pregnant before they've come together. So again, whatever else he knows... He knows this is not my baby. And you understand, especially in that culture, no one would have batted an eye if Joseph had just bailed at that point and said, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not standing up with Mary for whatever's happened, whether her, her story is true, which no one believes or not. Um, he's, he's hurt. As I said, he's devastated and humiliated. And he has an easy way out. Because his culture, like, widely allowed for if there's unfaithfulness during the betrothal period or even during the marriage, the innocent party can leave the marriage through divorce and the guilty party will bear the blame and bear the shame on their own, okay? So I think the first thing that we need to note about Joseph as he's waiting for Messiah is even before the angel speaks to him, notice this, even before the angel speaks to him, he is acting mercifully toward Mary. Verse 19, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And here's your first principle of integrity. Waiting on the Lord with integrity means being just and merciful, even toward those who hurt you. 
That is a life of integrity as you're waiting on God and you are hurt to say, I will treat you justly, righteously, and kindly, even though you've hurt me. So let's look at both sides of that. Just is the, the word that's used here as, as the author is describing Joseph's character says he is a just man. In other words, he's righteous. He's upright. His life conforms to the standard of God's law. And as I said a moment ago, under Jewish law, like the Torah, the law of Moses, a person did not have to remain married to an unfaithful spouse. The Jews recognized from God that adultery broke the, the sanctity of the marriage covenant and again, the innocent party was free to divorce and move on. That was not unjust. That was not unrighteous. That was not wrong. But I think it is important to notice that Scripture doesn't paint Joseph as the bad guy. It's not like, whoa, you wanted out. Let's, let's talk about that. It's just like, well, of course he wanted out. And there was nothing wrong with that. He's not breaking God's law. He's not being vindictive. Scripture, scripture actually goes out of the way to add this word just in describing him as a man and kind of defends him and says his actions are in conformity to the moral law of God. He's a good guy. And that's an important point that I don't want to just gloss over, that while Joseph is waiting on Messiah to come, he submitted his life to the authority of God's word. He lived justly. He respected the law of God even when he was hurt. And I want us to think about us that very often at this Advent season, we love to talk about this idea of living in the in-between time. Some of you have heard that term. What the in-between time means is like Jesus has already come in the first Advent, but we still look forward to Jesus coming again in the second Advent, comes to, to be a judge of the world, to set all things right, and we're in this in-between time. So we look back to the first coming of Christ we look forward to the second coming of Christ, and we, another term we use often is we have this already not yet theology. It's like it's already started. We already have a clear picture of what God is doing, has done, will do, but it has not yet taken its full and final form. And I'm, I'm just simply thinking, so if God, if, if God has come and we look back and God came and he gave us his word, and we're living in this in-between time waiting for him to come back as a righteous judge, then one of the simple and obvious ways that we live with integrity in this in-between time is like, if you gave me your word, I want to respect your word. I want to love your law, as David said. I want to be a person of justice, a person of righteousness. You say, well, what if someone, what if someone hurts me deeply? Like I'm supposed to just hold it all together and submit to what God says about that? And it's, yes. Well, what if, what if obeying God over a long period of time doesn't seem to be making a difference? Like anybody who ever feel that way? Like I just thought like on the whole, it would make a big difference in my life if I was submitting my life to the law of God, to the word of God. And I've been doing that for a long time and life's still really hard. Doesn't seem to be making a difference. Well, do justly. Well, what about what about cultural shifts? What if, what if people say, like, his life conforms to Scripture, which is traditional and closed-minded and outdated, and we all know better than that now? And I always hear this expression, like, can you believe someone believes this in 2022? Like, like as if God's opinion changed between 2022 and 2021, or 2022 and 1022, or 22. So the idea is, 
knowing God's law that he's given us in this first coming, knowing the person of Christ that he's given us in this first coming and saying, a life of integrity is living consistently with what God has revealed until he comes again. And that's the just side of this. But look also at the, the kindness, the, the mercy side of this. Because it would have been very easy and very natural for Joseph to be vindictive, especially in, it's not just like Jewish, ancient Jewish culture was not just traditional, it was patriarchal. Like it was run by the heads of houses, the men, okay? So again, he could have done all kinds of things. Essentially, the, the ancient example of, or the ancient version of like plastering Mary's name all over the evening news, he could have done that. He could have gotten his own revenge, like, you hurt me, I hurt you. But again, look at verse 19, which uses a word here that, that literally means he refused to publicly shame Mary. Like, she's pregnant. She has a child growing in her womb. What she's done will become clear enough, soon enough, to the people closest to her. And Joseph is just like, his attitude is like, it is not my place to go and deliberately shame her with the consequences of her actions. And then it goes on to say he was planning to divorce her quietly, which is a word literally secretly, like not making a big deal about it, not, not just rolling it out there for all the people of like, uh, you see that she did the bad and I'm, I'm cool, rabbi, like you put the stamp of approval on my life. It's just like he's gonna do this as quietly as possible in kindness and mercy and I, I just think about us, like one of, the, one of the first instincts very often when we are hurt by someone, when they do something, especially that humiliates us, is to start plotting some kind of revenge. And, and because, you know, we're good people, <laughs> you know, revenge is not like, I'm going to go beat you, I'm going to kill you. But, you know, we, we have a way of sharing with other people and kind of getting vindication in the court of public opinion. Like, I'm going to start getting my side of the story out there, but, but in a way that we know is hurtful and vindictive and not just telling the truth. Very often, it's, I, I, I feel a need to justify myself and put down this other person, publicly shame this other person, so you know, like, what's really up. Like, who's really culpable here? And that's a very common thing. And, and you may even look at your own life this morning and think, yeah, I, I see that in myself, where whether you call it gossip or like sharing a prayer request, you're quick to kind of say, do you see how this is this person's fault, not my fault? And I just think in this waiting time, and this is what we're talking about, as we wait on God, like, and we're waiting on God to come and make all things right, and actually, one of the common New Testament teachings is because we are trusting God that when he comes again, he will make things right. Therefore, like right now today in real time, I don't have to get even. I don't have to be vindictive. I can live with a heart of kindness and love for enemies and not seek vindication, like personally getting my hands dirty or my tongue dirty but just saying, I actually do trust with a heart of integrity that God is going to make this right and I'm leaving it with him. So that's this idea of waiting on the Lord with integrity means being just and kind or just and merciful even toward those who hurt you. Principle number two, going on with the story chronologically here, waiting on the Lord with integrity means 
letting new information change your mind. And that's so important. I, I think it's important because people often confuse like spiritual or moral integrity with stubbornness. Hey, there, there really is a difference between being steadfast, faithful to biblical beliefs and convictions and being willfully ignorant. There's a big difference between those things. Now, 20 and 21, going on. As he considered these things, so he's, he's mulling over, how do, I, how do I do this with Mary in a way that's fair, that's right, that's good, but doesn't unintentionally bring more shame to her? So that's what he's considering. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You'll notice what Joseph did when he woke up from that night's sleep is different than what he intended to do when he went to bed. Why? Because God gave him more information as he slept, and he listened to the word of the Lord. Now, imagine if, if Joseph had just kind of wrestled internally and been like, nope, my mind's made up. Mary's an adulterer. She did this thing. She humiliated me in my small town. Like all my, all my blue-collar friends, like the electrician over here and the plumber over here, they're all making fun of me. And like, I'm not dealing with this. Well, that would have been ignorant. And that would not have been a life of integrity to just say, no, my mind's made up. You know, people still say today, like Christians say today, I haven't changed my mind in 10 years and I'm not about to. Ever hear stuff like that? Like around the Thanksgiving table, holidays, like someone's like, I, I haven't changed my mind in 20 years, in 50 years. And again, is that a reflection of a heart of integrity or is that a reflection of a heart of stubbornness? I often tell people something like this, like even as we wrestle with cultural issues that the Bible addresses, I think pretty clearly. But I'll say something like this. This is what I believe with great conviction right now, but I reserve the right to change my mind. And some of you have heard that. I'll say, I reserve the right to change my mind. I've believed things. I've even preached things. Some of you have been around long enough, like you've heard me preach things, and I have to come back and be like, hey, someone graciously pulled me aside and like showed me additional scriptures that, that I wasn't aware of or that I didn't understand that way. And I've got to come back and say, I was, I was actually wrong, or I, I at least now have a fuller view, a clearer view of what the scripture actually teaches. And my question is, is, is your loyalty to your own opinions and even convictions rather than being to the word of God? Because if your loyalty, I mean, our society, everyone's loyal to their own opinions, their own perspectives, their own priorities. That's why you're fair game, all of you, for this thing, confirmation bias, because you hear new information. And what we do with confirmation bias is we're listening for stuff that confirms what we already believed. So it's not changing our minds. And if it confronts what we already believe, we do like a handful of things. We, we just explain it away. We're like, that, that's, that's not what it really says. Or we ignore it. Like, no, 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 la, 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 like, I don't see that, I don't hear that. Or we force it to fit pre-existing paradigms rather than saying, my ideas aren't big enough. And by the way, as we talk about this, this is really relevant. 
you know, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, like the, their version of pastors, like rabbis and scribes and lawyers who were lawyers of the Torah, not lawyers like litigation. Their paradigm, their understanding of what it was going to look like when the Messiah came was not big enough. It, it was broken in a number of ways. And it's easy for us, or relatively easy for us, to go back now in hindsight and look at verses like the one that's quoted here, Isaiah 7:14. This is to fulfill the prophecy that was spoken. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. So everybody looks back now and they're like, duh, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. You call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So everyone, like Mary gets pregnant, it's the virgin, you know. Da, da. And it's like, well, no, back then the word virgin in Isaiah, Yama, is just a young woman. And no one batted an eye about that and thought, oh, there's going to be this miraculous conception of a virgin. They just, it was the common word for a young girl, a young woman. And there's like, okay, a young woman's going to bear the Messiah someday. But in, in hindsight, as they start putting it together, they're like, I've got new information. I've got to start changing the way I think about the coming of Messiah and who he's going to be and what his priorities are going to be and what his kingdom program is going to be and change my mind. And my plea here is that as we wait for the Lord's second return, that we, instead of being proud, stubborn Christians, that we be humble, teachable Christians who are like, as the Lord gives me new information, I want to be open to the right kind of change. And this is a balancing principle, as I say, the right kind of change. So if you're changing just for the sake of change, you're like, I believe this for long enough. I just, what's something new I could believe? And you're just kind of like trying to find yourself. And we know people like this. Like you're trying to find your identity and who am I? And I'll, I'll try this version of me. You're like, that's not working. I'll try this version of me. And that doesn't work. I, I'll try this version. And, and I see friends doing this. That's not healthy change. You know, certainly change to simply be acceptable to and relevant to the world that hates God and that doesn't really love their fellow man, their fellow woman is not the right kind of change. But if our real loyalty is to Christ and to his word and we continue to read it and study it and meditate on it and do so in groups of people who bring new insights that you're like, I never thought about that. I never saw that this text over here is kind of pushing back on something I've held as a pretty firm conviction for a while. I should look into this more. I'm saying living a life of integrity as we wait on the Lord is actually a person of integrity. It's not that they never change their mind. It's that they do change their mind under the right circumstances. So that's, that's what you see Joseph doing? And there are actually questions in your community group, questions for this week about like, what if Joseph had just been like one of those stubborn people? Like, nope, my mind's ate up. The story would have been very different for him. So waiting on the Lord means being open to change. Waiting on the Lord, number three, waiting on the Lord with integrity means choosing faith over feelings. Okay, so now Joseph knows an angel of the Lord has spoken to me in this dream. The angel, like God's messenger, has confirmed what Mary has been telling me, that this is a supernatural conception. This is the Holy Spirit's like child, in a sense. I mean, it's the eternal son of God. It's the savior of the world. But 
even as Joseph hears truth, he's not a robot. He has this whole range of human emotions. And, you know, certainly before that angel comes, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of shame that comes when you're cheated on. Because people look at you and they're like, what's wrong with you that this person did this? People look at you like you're not good enough. They speculate behind their back. There's always people who claim to be like really close to the situation with what really happened and they go share a harmful narrative. And I'm sure some of this is happening with Mary and Joseph as she's becoming more and more obviously pregnant that these stories are spreading. And so he's dealing with shame, humiliation. He feels anger, I'm sure. I'm sure he feels deep sadness, like a sense of loss, of just like something was taken from me. Someone was taken from me. And he's going through, you know, bargaining with God and the sense of betrayal and all this uncertainty that he's facing and anxiety. And, um, but point being, what did he do when he woke up from the dream? He did what the angel said this is what God wants you to do. He chose faith over feelings. And I want us to think about as, as we wait on the Lord, there are countless opportunities in our life, probably daily opportunities in our lives to be derailed by strong negative emotions. And I'll give you like five or six categories of these. So you know what I'm talking about. There's the strong negative emotion. And by saying negative, I'm not saying there's never an appropriate time for these, okay? You'll understand. Negative is like I could spiral down if I dwell on this, park on this, and let it kind of take a foothold in my life. So the first one is like anger or frustration. There, there are godly times to be angry about certain things, but you know that if you let anger fester, frustration just grow, it turns into the second one, which is worse and deeper, which is like bitterness or that vindictive type of spirit. Some of you are dealing with anger, frustration, just low-level stress that you're just like mad about everything. And so like the littlest thing is always setting you off, okay? Um, how about the range of emotions that's around doubt or fear or anxiety? Like there's a lot of things I can't control and I'm anxious about many things. And what about sadness or depression, despondency? You know, depression, despondency, they're deeper. It's like it's something that's not going away. Sadness is like more the quick reaction, but it's like I'm, I'm parked here now and it seems like all things are negative. There are negative emotions of shame and insecurity. There are negative emotions of disgust and contempt. But again, my, my high-level question is, do you see almost daily opportunities for some of those negative feelings, emotions, psychological processes to pull you down and to be stronger to you than your faith and actually prevent you from trusting God because you're so mad or you're so anxious or you're so despondent? You know, and that, that's one that, like, from time to time, I personally have to deal with where it's like, okay, this sadness is now this low-level thing that's just, like, seeing the, like, the dark side of everything or the bad side or the downside. And it's like, you know, and my, my family has to deal with this. It's like, well, yeah, that'd probably be amazing, but, you know, some really terrible things could also happen, you know. And I'm not talking about just the wisdom of, like, considering, like, the worst thing that can happen. But it's just like an attitude. And like when I get to that place, as some of you get to that place of like depression or despondency, it's just like 
I just, I just want to lay in bed and just kind of check out and, and just be sad. And it's like, don't try to cheer me up. Don't give me a verse. No, I don't want to go hang out with friends. It's just like, I just want to be in this place right now. Can't you just appreciate that I want to be in this place? And that's something that for me could come between or does sometimes come between trusting and obeying God. It's like, am I doing right now what God wants me to do? No, because I'm down. And, uh, you know, we counsel others that are dealing with depression too. And, and part, of, part of what you have to do in depression is like, okay, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Because I need to do what I need to do or I'm going to fall further behind and I'm going to feel even more depressed and more anxious because I'm getting further behind because I'm not doing this thing. And you got to put you in here. All I'm saying is as we look at the, the example of Joseph and he's dealing with this whole range of emotions, he's like, okay, the angel said to do this. Is this more plausible that Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit and is going to bear the Messiah? Or is it more likely she's been unfaithful and it's a story and I ate, you know, I don't know. I guess they don't eat tacos. But what, I ate too much of something last night and I'm having a dream. And it's like I'm hearing what I want to hear. But, but he knows it's from God. And so he's like, okay, faith has to trump what I feel right now. And I want to follow God in hope that he's right. And that brings us to this last of four principles, that waiting on the Lord with integrity means doing the next right thing in hope. And I think that in hope is important because I'm not, this is not a Nike thing of like, just do it. You know, that can turn very moralistic very fast of just do it. Although God is rarely displeased with your obedience, even when you're like, I don't feel it. And, but you're like, but God, I don't feel it, but I'm going to do it because I think it honors you. You can do a lot of the Christian life that way, and that's not moralism, that's obedience. Obeying God when you don't feel like obeying him is not moralism, it's obedience. Like, we want our kids to be like, well, I don't feel like it. And it's like, but are you going to do the thing? And they're like, yeah, I'm going to do the thing. But let's look at this. Waiting on the Lord with integrity means doing the next right thing in hope. So just by way of review, verses 20 and 21, what instructions had the angel given? And two things jump out to me. Verse 20, he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Verse 21, he says, you, and that's you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus. And what did Joseph do when he wakes up? Verses 24 and 25, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Okay. Your gospel community groups this past week may have talked about this as our group did. That a lot of times when you're waiting on God, and we are waiting on God to come again. But as you're waiting on God, very often you're like, I know where I am. And I know this thing like way, way, way out over here that honors God and is like big picture trajectory of my life. Or something that's the right thing. But if you're like me, what I want is I want to be able to open the Bible and find like a thousand sequential chronological steps that make perfect sense to me. Of like, here's where you are. Here's where I'm going to take you. And being like, okay, now I got it all figured out. And I'm sure there's a sense in which Joseph's like, okay, okay, wait, wait hold on. And you see those dreams where it's like you get to interact with the angel and ask lots of questions. And it doesn't seem like there, there's no word of Joseph recorded in Scripture. Not a single word. 
So it's like the angel says a couple big things, just drops this bomb, and then it's like gone. And he's like, can you you come back? I got questions. Like, whew, okay. So it's to sit there and say, okay, if I believe this is a word from the Lord, what is the next right thing to do? I'm going to talk to that attorney and say, we're pulling back the divorce docs. That's not going to happen. I'm going to marry her. Okay. Then, like, this idea of, like, not knowing her during this next period of time. So then they're now actually married, but he's, like, honoring the, the sanctity and the codes that the Jews had. And he's like, okay, I won't sleep with her. Then the baby comes, and in obedience, he's like, his name is Jesus. His name is Yeshua. Yahweh is salvation. And even though he only knew two big picture things to do and a lot of questions, like, how, how do you raise a baby that's the son of God? I need some help down here. First time father, you know. Uh, so it's already hard enough, but, but he's God, so I'm going to mess up and he's not. And it's going to be really tricky in a thousand ways. And it, it's fair to have all those questions of like, what, what are all these stuff? What are, what's all the intervening stuff? But I'm just saying, as we wait, our lives are more parallel to Joseph's in the sense that, like, we know where we are in a sense. We know a big thing that honors God, and we don't know all the details. We don't know all the steps. And I think a beautiful thing that he does is, like, from a heart of integrity as an integrated person, he's just like, I I know the next right thing is for me to take back the divorce, like, don't go through with it, to marry her and to start figuring out what it looks like to do this life together. Messy, scary, but a life of integrity. So where do, where do you have a situation where you're like, I don't, I don't get it, God, and you've been disruptive, as we talked about last week. You are this intimate, disruptive, personal presence in my life. And I, I know big things that honor you, then do those big things. You know, God loves you. He's not, he's not withholding enough information for you to do the next right thing. And I've always loved like that verse in the Psalms. It's like, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And the, it's, the picture is, you know, in, in ancient Jewish culture, they didn't have like million candle watt LED lights that they're like, yeah, let's, what's up? I can see like way out into the dark. They had like these little things that like they w- would wear candles on their shoes sometimes and like walk. And as they take a step you can see enough to take the next step and then the next step. But they couldn't see way out here. And that's scary, and that involves trust, and that involves hoping in God. But I believe on the authority of Scripture, God will always give you enough information to love him and to love others and to take that next right step. And I say in hope because God's not sitting there, like, ready to just bash you and be like, how could you miss it? It was so obvious. I, I think so often he doesn't have like the one right thing for you to do and you're going to get it wrong. He's just like, good. You took the opportunity that was before you. You did something that expressed love for me and love for your neighbor. Way to go. Now do the next right thing and the next right thing. And by the way, I want to close with this. The time will come in Joseph's life when doing the next right thing meant uprooting his family while Mary's basically in the throes of labor and going on a many-mile journey to Bethlehem because his 
political governing authority said, you have to go to your city of ancestry and register. And he could have been like, well, I don't want to. It's the government, you know, like rage against the government. Like I've got the Messiah in my wife's womb. We'll take that, you know, and like he's, he's going to be here. To, but he's like, no, being a person of integrity is like, I want to submit to the authority that God's put in my life. So I know that, like submitting to the authority that God's put in my life when it's not forcing me to directly disobey is a thing that honors God. So I'm going to do that even though this is not a good time for us. So that lands him in Bethlehem, completely probably unbeknownst to him, fulfilling a prophecy like Micah 5.2. Like he has no idea. But in the big picture, doing the next right thing, God's like, now step back and look at the picture. Do, Do you see that I was doing something way bigger than you could have ever imagined? And I called you to walk in faith. And I called you to walk in hope. I called you to walk in integrity. And because you did, not perfectly, but because you did with a repentant, faithful heart, I worked through you to bring glory to my son Jesus at Christmas. I worked through you to bring the light of the world, to bring joy to countless numbers of people. And my, my hope and trust in God is that he wants to do the same for us. That as we wait on him in faith, in hope, in integrity, we can both glorify God and bring joy to countless other people through just letting our lives tell a story that sometimes we're not even aware like what all that story is being told, but God is doing it to be glorified. So wait on the Lord with integrity. Let's pray.